A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A former pro basketball player leaves Los Angeles for a new life in Seattle. He's starting a new relationship with someone. He's starting a completely new career in an unknown land. An 1,100-mile road trip up the Pacific coast. He had a lot on his mind driving to Seattle from L.A. But after hours of texts and phone calls, radio silence. Jennifer and I were calling each other. How come you can't get a hold of him? How come I can't get a hold of him? I knew something was wrong because he never not calls me. A discovery in a harsh, isolated landscape yields clues and questions. It didn't look like a place that was easy to have an accident or disappear in. An unresolved mystery that torments friends, family, and police. It was like a nightmare. I would never even in a million years imagine that he would just disappear. Everything that's been put in front of us, we've investigated, and it's led nowhere. Somebody knows something, and why they're not speaking, I don't know. I want my son found. Thursday, October 9th, 2014. It's evening in Alhambra, a small Southern California city within Los Angeles County. 37-year-old Rico Harris is about to leave his mother's house for a new life in Seattle, Washington with his fiancee, Jennifer Song. He was really excited. Start something new with Jennifer, become a family. All those things were gonna be new to him. Rico's hopes and dreams was to eventually get engaged and get married and have children. He really wanted um, kids with me. He would talk about what our baby would look like. Rico and Jennifer have been together for two and a half years while living in cities 1,100 miles apart. He was very open to making this relationship work and bringing our lives together. This trip will complete a move that Rico began three weeks earlier. Rico also went down there to kind of just clean everything out down in L.A. 
He liked Seattle. He enjoyed being with Jennifer. Everything was good. Rico's goal is to arrive back in Seattle by 7 p.m. the next evening, Friday, October 10th, in time for a meeting about a new real estate job. One of our friends that does appraisals, he knew Rico, how dedicated he was and how hardworking he is. So they had a meeting set up to discuss what his job would be, the hours, the pay. For the past several years, Rico's been doing private security work in Los Angeles. At six feet, nine inches and 320 pounds, he's got the build for it. But he's known as a gentle giant. He's like big, you know, and wide. And then he just has a smile at all times that he just goes around and smiles. He's a guy that's really easy to like, and so he made fast friends. I believe there was athletes and celebrities that were interested in his service. As a young man, Rico was on his way to being a celebrity in his own right. Rico had enormous talent, natural talent. He didn't have to work very hard at it. He was gifted by God to play basketball. You know, it was like, I'm going to be a professional basketball player and do the work necessary to accomplish that objective. In 1997, Rico led his college team to its first state championship title and did go on to play pro basketball until an injury sidelined him in 2000. Basketball will always be a part of his life and there were other things that he was more than capable of accomplishing. As he heads north from L.A. on Interstate 5, Rico Harris knows the ultimate accomplishment is waiting for him just over the horizon, the chance to create his own family. He's got over 1,000 miles ahead of him, but Rico's undaunted. He was never afraid of a long drive, and I think there was probably something about that that he enjoyed. I think he liked the open road. Very adventurous guy in that way. Around 1 a.m., Rico calls his mother, she expected him to stay overnight and didn't know he'd already left Alhambra. He says he's on his way to Seattle. He says, I have to go. I have these things that I have to do. So there was a lot going on, too, there. I was like, okay, well, I'll call you later. Soon after, Jennifer calls Rico. She's also surprised that he's on the road. I just thought he was still in L.A., um, going to take a nap or something. With almost 17 hours of driving to go, the two lovers settle in for a long conversation. We talked on the phone for like three, four hours, just talking about things. Jennifer is concerned that Rico is too tired to drive. She knows he didn't get any rest in Alhambra. Around 3.30 a.m., he said he wants to take a nap somewhere in the mountains and just kind of just hide out for a second, look at the stars. I know what the mountains look like coming to Seattle, really windy and dark. And I said, please don't sleep in the, in the mountains. There's no cell phone service. He said, okay, well, maybe I'll go to a rest area then. So then he said, well, you need to sleep. So I fell asleep for three hours, four hours. Jennifer wakes up around 8 a.m. and immediately calls Rico. He said that he's over in Sacramento area, and he said that he put gas in, and we talked for like 15 minutes. He sounded very, very, very tired. A short time later, his mother also checks in with him. He was gonna get something to eat, 
rest. I said, that's good, rest. And after that, I tried again, and I couldn't contact him. And then I tried calling him. He didn't answer. I didn't want to text him because he was driving, and on top of that, he's driving tired. Jennifer resists texting Rico for the next hour or so, but grows increasingly uneasy. But then she hears from him. He texted me back exactly at 10.44 a.m. Sorry I missed your call. I'm doing well thinking about you. So I just said, you know, I'm just going to leave him alone. I'll see him in a little bit. There's no need to worry. But she does worry. Something within me told me I need to try calling him. And then that's when the cell phone kept ringing. So I thought maybe, oh, he might be driving through those mountains. About an hour later, Jennifer tries again. No answer. And I still at that time believed that he was going to come home around 7 p.m. So I waited it out. As soon as it became about 7.38, I knew something was wrong because he never not calls me. Frantic, Jennifer calls Rico's mother. Should I call the police and file the missing persons report? And she's like, no, you have to wait two days to file a missing persons report. Let's just wait it out. When Rico felt like just being to himself, he would just kind of go off to the side and do whatever he had to do. So it wasn't something that really, like, petrified me. Jennifer repeatedly checks her phone for any missed messages from Rico, hoping to find one that's come in since his most recent text earlier that day at 10.44 a.m. But there are none. That's the last contact I had with him. Jennifer and Margaret have good reason to worry when information about Rico's whereabouts does surface. It was on Tuesday, got a knock at the door. Alhabra Police Department came to my house and told me that they had found his car. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Friday, October 10th, 2014, Rico Harris was driving from Alhambra, California to his fiance's home in Seattle, Washington. But he never arrived. I thought maybe he got in an accident. Maybe he got a hotel and he just wants to clear his mind for the weekend. But even that isn't Rico. You know, Rico checked in with me all the time. I checked in with him. So I knew something was wrong. On Monday, October 13th, 700 miles south of Seattle, a Yolo County Sheriff's deputy is making a routine inspection of a parking lot in an isolated rest area. In what's called the lower site up in the Rumsey Canyon area. He saw the car, didn't think too much of it. But then he saw it the next day as well. And that got him concerned. It wasn't parked in a parking spot, a lined parking spot. It was kind of parked off to the side. He ran the car and he came back to Alhambra, so he contacted Alhambra police. Alhambra Police Department came to my house and asked me, you know, my son, did he drive his car? Where, where was he going? So yeah, from here to Seattle. He goes, well, we found his car, but he's not nowhere near the car. His mom contacted me. The car was found near the mountains, and it was there for two days. It was surreal. It was like a nightmare. Like, I was in a dream. Like, I only see this in on TV. Rico's mother immediately files a missing persons report, and Yolo County Sheriff's detective Dean Nyland launches an investigation. His plan was to go directly from Alhambra to Seattle. We want to know what time did he leave? What time was he planning on being there? Did he have any side trips planned? Any stops that he had indicated? Detective Nyland orders Rico's service provider to check his phone for pings, an indication that he's connected with a cell tower. Within an hour or so, I get contact from the provider that the phone had been pinging in uh, the Redwood Valley area. So I got phone numbers for all those residents in that area. I proceeded to contact every resident. Didn't get a hold of anybody, but I left a message where I could. Redwood Valley is 70 miles from the lower site parking lot where Rico's car was found. Investigators soon discover the vehicle is out of gas and the battery is dead. It almost appeared that it had been ransacked. We had CDs all over the place. Uh, we had papers on the floor. This California driver's license was in the car. And then some other uh, credit cards. Detective Nyland questions whether it was Rico who drove his car to the lower site parking lot. And if it was, whether he could still be somewhere nearby, perhaps lost or hurt. At this point, we don't know what we got. 
he orders a search and rescue team into the remote and dangerous area. They do have animals, bears and mountain lions. The Cache Creek River runs right by it. It is an area that if you went hiking and you tripped and fell, became unconscious. Um, so it was urgent that we, we try and find him as soon as possible. There's no trace of Rico in the woods around the parking lot or on the road that leads to it. But down by the creek, investigators spot their first clue. The search and rescue team were able to locate uh, fairly large foot tracks in that immediate area down by the creek. Uh, I believe Rico's size shoe was size 18. And we found insoles or inserts of large tennis shoes. For an island, it indicates that Rico did most likely drive his car to the lower site. The detective starts piecing together a possible scenario. What I would speculate is he came down here either to cool off or to wake up from the cool water or to do what a lot of people do is just come down here and check out the scene, check out the creek. The sound alone is relaxing. While the search and rescue team continues to comb the lower site area, Detective Nyland gets a promising lead. A man from Redwood Valley received his message about Rico's cell phone and says he has it, but claims he doesn't know who it belongs to. He tells Detective Nyland that he, his wife, and grandson found the phone with a backpack. Grandpa, Grandma, we're coming from this direction here. As they're coming around this turn, little 10-year-old boy uh, looks at Grandma and Grandpa and tells them, hey, look, there's a backpack over here. They point to it over here by this little white marker, and uh, they pull over. The family gets out of the car, and they pick up the backpack, look in it to see if there's any identifying information. Uh, there's not. Uh, they yell up and down the highway. They look in the creek, and they can't find anybody. So at some point, they pick up the backpack, they collect the cell phone, and then they take off and go home with it. But when Detective Nyland receives the backpack and phone, more questions arise. Why did Rico have this backpack, and all of a sudden this backpack winds up somewhere on the side of the road? There's no indication of a struggle right there in the dirt. Possibly he had left it there to go down to the creek and then came back up a different area and got a ride from there. We don't know. The contents of Rico's backpack are also troubling. In the backpack was a set of jumper cables, which was concerning to me because if I'm going to carry jumper cables, I'm going to keep them with the car in the trunk or by the spare tire in the event that I need them. And then I'm surely not going to take them with me to go looking for help. His mom believed that he had jumper cables. Rico kept jumper cables in the trunk, yes. Why did they wind up in his backpack somewhere else? That's the question. A search of Rico's phone turns up a surprising video that appears to be shot by him at the lower site. Rico's sitting in the vehicle. I'm not sure if he knows he's recording himself. It appears the phone is sitting on the center console of the vehicle. He's listening to the music and singing along, and he's playing with the visor and the sunroof, and um, he's ripping up papers. He's tossing CDs around the car, which explained the disarray, and I don't know what his frame of mind was. Rico's mother and Jennifer have very different reactions to news of evidence found near the lower site. 
the shoe imprints, the phone, the backpack, all those things were like signs that, okay, Rico, somewhere around. The minute I heard that his backpack was there, my heart just sank because he carries around that backpack like a purse. And when Detective Nyland told me that, I just knew something was wrong. Through the night and during the next several days, the search and rescue team continues looking for Rico around the lower site parking lot. Focusing on the canyons and the fire roads going up through the canyons and also in the creek on the side, uh, looking for any evidence we could. But there's no sign of him. For Rico's mother, 400 miles south of Yolo County, Distance adds to her anxiety and despair. It's frustrating because I don't really know what they're doing and what they're not doing. I'm not there to keep an eye on things like I would like to. Not to have my eldest son that I adore. Not to have him call me on the phone. It's heartbreaking. Detective Nyland has Rico's car towed to the sheriff's office where it's processed for fingerprints and DNA. He speculates how the car came to have an empty tank and dead battery. I knew he filled up for gas and Lodi. I think we uh, determined his tank had 20 gallons of gas in it, which would have left him about 13 gallons of gas when he got to lower site. And then what I would speculate is that he ran out of gas and the next morning continued to use the, the battery with his radio. But Detective Nyland questions what brought Rico so far out of his way in the first place. The lower site is about 50 miles west of Interstate I-5, the road to Seattle. It's a long side trip in the dead of night just to see some mountains. The town of Woodland to the Cache Creek area or the Rumsey Canyon, it's mostly farmland and ranches. There's nowhere to stop. To put himself in Rico's current mindset, Detective Nyland delves into his past and finds a promising young man who ran into trouble. At some point, it turned into something a lot darker where, where he wasn't using it as a tool anymore. It began to sort of use him. It's been almost one week since Rico Harris disappeared, and his loved ones are terrified. It's a feeling that goes deep into your core, deep into your being. Yolo County Detective Dean Nyland is looking into Rico's past for clues which might lead him to the missing man. I'm going to ask about his health, his attitude, just the recent chain events in his life. How was his behavior? Um, was he stressed out about anything? Rico's mother, Margaret, attempts to paint a clear picture of her son for investigators. Rico never saw life as just for himself. It was always to help somebody else. Rico Harris is the eldest of four children raised solely by Margaret. Things are very difficult. There was not enough money. A lot of times, Rico would say, Mom, you know, one day we're going to make it really big, and you're not going to have to ever work again because it's going to be good. He always wanted to help his mom, so everything he did was um, towards that goal. There was just a very strong bond there. 
His father was a semi-pro basketball player who, according to Rico's mother, stood out on the court but sat on the bench when it came to parenting. Their father was more like a Pop-Tart dad. He was in and out of their lives. But his father still had a significant influence on Rico. If Rico's dad gave Rico anything, it was his passion and love for basketball. We watched him play in like the summer pro league with NBA people that we looked up to. And so early on, he had a drive to perhaps best what his father had accomplished. While Rico's teenage friends were hanging out, he was in the gym doing layups and sinking jump shots. Rico was adamantly opposed to any types of recreational drugs and alcohol. I was among the first of my friends to experiment with marijuana, and he would call me a crackhead and say, man, you're like, you know, you're throwing your life away. I'm going to the NBA. I can't, you know, mess with my lungs. I'm an athlete. When 16-year-old Rico arrived at Temple City High School, he quickly became the star of its basketball team. Stands were always full, and the ball was almost always in Rico's hand, and he would score 30 points a game, 35 points a game. Rico was a wizard with the ball. He could dribble, he could spin the ball over you, he could shoot a hook, he could shoot under you, he had great footwork, and traditionally he could just stand there and, and outshoot you. He was something that wasn't out there. He was a unique basketball player. Rico spent a year at Arizona State University before transferring to L.A. City College and leading its team to its first state championship. He was absolutely ecstatic because NBA recruiters were in the building and the stands were full. Rico's lifelong goal was to play in the NBA. Now it was within reach. During the next two years, he entered the NBA draft twice but was never selected for a team. The star athlete, who once chided his best friend for smoking marijuana, started turning to drugs himself. He started to experiment with speed, and then it eventually ended up being crystal meth. He almost looked at it like it was a tool, like it made him better. He could stay in the gym for 10 hours and just shoot 3,000 shots without batting an eye. Rico always thought that he could handle it, even when it was apparent that he couldn't. And I think that obviously hurt him and his ability to perform at a high athletic level. Rico kept his escalating drug use a secret from potential employers. And in 2000, he was hired by the Harlem Globetrotters. While they were a professional team, it wasn't the NBA. Two months later, an injury sidelined him. And at age 23, Rico's basketball career came to an abrupt end. And as soon as that went away, he wasn't quite sure who he was or what to do. And he filled that void with drugs and alcohol. He spiraled out of control. Rico was like a prototype of someone who has gone way off the rails. It was more than sad. I mean, it was devastating. I just wanted my son to be better. In the mid-2000s, Rico was arrested for public intoxication. And while in jail, he literally came face to face with a painful part of his past. His absent father, whom he hadn't seen in several years, was in the same lockup. Rico knew who he was. His father didn't. It was like he didn't recognize him. 
it hurt him. So he would try to brush it off or to pretend that it was a minimal thing. But I knew it wasn't. Rico was sad about that meeting, sad for himself and sad for his father, and sad that that's the way that they would be reunited um, behind bars. Not long after, Rico hit rock bottom when he overdosed on prescription drug medication. It was a turning point. He went into rehab and began to build a sober life and started working. Rico wasn't going to be an NBA star, but he was still driven to succeed. He was holding down multiple jobs. He had a reliable income. He was helping his mom. He had a nicer car than I did. Um, and things looked, you know, all like on the up and up. In 2012, Rico met Jennifer Song, an insurance broker, while managing security at a nightclub in Marina Del Rey. Though Jennifer lived 1,100 miles away in Seattle, where she owned a home and a business, the distance between them was easily bridged by phone calls, texts, and visits. In September 2014, they were making marriage plans, and Rico moved into Jennifer's Seattle townhouse. The last conversation that I had with Rico was a conversation where he said he was going to explore this new love, what that means, you know, family, marriage, all those things but the transition proved more difficult than either Rico or Jennifer anticipated. After about a week, he still hadn't unpacked. He felt like it was my house, not his house. I could feel his sadness and frustrations and insecurity for not having a job and not able to bring money in because he was such a provider. But then in early October, an uplifting opportunity. Rico got a weekend position selling vacation timeshares and had a meeting scheduled for Friday, October 10th, about a full-time job. Jennifer noticed an immediate change in him. One day when I came home from work, all of his belongings were in the dresser and on the hanger in the closet. That told me that he's here to stay. But on October 10th, Rico didn't arrive home in Seattle as planned. And almost one week later, he's still missing. Detective Nyland issues a missing persons alert to the press, neighboring law enforcement, and thousands of area cell phones. It's a mass notification system that you can pick a particular geographic area and send messages to all telephones registered in that particular area. Within a day, alerts yield dozens of calls and evidence that Rico Harris may be nearby. There were three sightings by three different people, but it was a large individual. Detective Dean Nyland has issued public alerts throughout Yolo County about Rico Harris during the week following his disappearance, and leads are pouring in. Several people claim to have seen Rico on Sunday, October 12th, one day after he went missing. One individual saw a large African-American male sitting on a guardrail. Another one saw um, the same description, the same large African-American male walking southbound on Highway 16. And then we had a third um, uh, 
boyfriend-girlfriend team that were up at Lower Sight. So they reported to us that this particular subject was walking around a black car, seemed to be confused, and just was kind of wandering about. The multiple sightings verify that Rico was indeed in the area on Sunday, the same day his backpack was found next to a guardrail three miles from the Lower Sight. Maybe he'd walked three miles, he was exhausted, he put it down, and he got a ride. Or he went down to the water, get water. Came back up a different area, easier path, and got a ride. But after that, Detective Nyland hits a wall. What happened to Rico next? Nothing makes sense. It does appear that this six foot nine, 300 pound man virtually vanished. One aspect of Rico's life nags at the detective. Rico did have a significant problem with substance abuse and alcohol in the past, but for the last six or seven years, he'd been clean. Detective Nyland relies on Rico's family and friends for information about his mindset leading up to the move to Seattle. Beginning of September, I was kind of just wondering, something just seemed different about him. When I flew down there, Things weren't the same. You know, I didn't get my bouquet of flowers um, that he normally would give me. Um, his room was just a disaster, and normally it's in order. Jennifer demanded to know what was going on with Rico. Finally, he came clean with her. He relapsed. I believe from what he told me around end of July, beginning of August. He wasn't drinking in front of me or anything like that. It sounded like to me that it was a one-time thing, maybe a few times. Rico also confided in his old childhood buddy around that time. He said that he had been struggling with some things and um, that he did start drinking again and sort of backslid and recognized that this was not a good sign and that he needed to fix it. He wanted to take steps to ensure that it didn't go deeper as he's very capable of doing. Jennifer informs Detective Nyland that on Wednesday, October 8th, the afternoon Rico left Seattle for Alhambra, there had been tension between them. I told him that I'm going to the gym. He's like, I really want to go look at a lake around here. I want to venture what Seattle has by myself. Because up until that point, we would do things together all the time. So he's like, no, this is my city now. Jennifer returned home around 8 p.m. to find Rico was gone. She assumed he was still out exploring. I texted him, texted him, and then um, Rico finally texted back. I'm driving through Oregon. I'll call you around midnight. Rico said he was driving towards Los Angeles. 18 hours later, at 2 p.m. on Thursday, October 9th, Rico pulled up to his mother's house in Alhambra. He was in minimal sleep on top of driving 18 hours. By the time he arrived to his mom's, he was awake about 30 hours. He said, how are you, mom? You know, the regular hello, hugs and kisses kind of thing. And I looked at him, I said, what's going on, Rico? Margaret felt she had cause for concern. I believe that he had been drinking. I realized that he had relapsed shortly before he decided to go to Seattle. The two were unusually quiet as Rico gathered his things. It was more of him looking at me and me looking at him. And 
and I couldn't figure out for the life of me why did you come for just these things. But I knew that he missed us and I knew that he wanted to see us. Rico took his younger brother Tito to dinner and the two hung out for a few hours afterward. We talked in between on the phone and you could tell he was very tired. At 10.30, I said, Rico, come back inside, take a nap and go to sleep, wake up, take off. And I laid down on the couch and I was waiting for him. The next time Jennifer talked to Rico, he was behind the wheel. And I asked him, where are you? And he was driving through Burbank. By that time, he had been awake for almost 40 hours. Nyland begins formulating a new sense of Rico's state of mind as he drove up Interstate 5. He's starting a new relationship with someone that's well-established in life. He's also starting a completely new career in an unknown land. So he does have a lot of tensions, combined with the fact that he's probably exhausted from the drive. It makes him vulnerable to himself. According to both Jennifer and Rico's mother, he kept talking about going to the mountains to rest. Nyland wonders if what Rico really wanted was a secluded place to do drugs. He gets in his car and follows Rico's route. I started heading northbound up I-5. I pretended I'm tired. I've been up for two days. I've been in trouble before with law enforcement because of substance abuse. You look right, left, you look in front of you, there's nothing. There's nothing until half hour, 40 minutes later, and he looks left and see those, that, uh, those hills. That's it. So then he turns left, and he ends up there. We can only speculate why he would have parked here and not in a parking spot. Uh, and the best reason I could come up with is, is he wants to be out of sight. He doesn't want to stand out. A complete inventory of the contents of Rico's car yields a new clue. We found in the car what we call a little bindle. It was empty, but it's consistent with folks that use controlled substances to wrap their drugs in a little clear plastic bindle. There's no drug residue in the bindle, and no paraphernalia is found in the car. But Rico would have been awake almost 50 hours by the time he arrived at the lower site, and the detective now believes it was drugs that kept him up. Methamphetamine is a very strong stimulant, and it will keep you awake, it'll keep you wired. Detective Nyland canvasses surrounding towns that have a reputation for meth dealing and use, but finds no credible accounts of Rico. Then, on Sunday, October 19th, one week after his disappearance, evidence surfaces that jolts the investigation. A subject reported that at 5.30 in the morning, he was driving southbound on 16, and he looked to his right and he saw a large individual walking on what he calls the cattle guard, which is basically the dirt area of walking near the bushes right next to the lower site. That was significant because one of our deputies as part of the search and rescue team also located that day additional large foot tracks in the area that weren't there before. The deputy wears size 16 and they were bigger than his. And now he sees those tracks virtually hours after the subject was seen walking around. So that's consistent with Rico being there again. But for Detective Nyland, the questions remain, not just why he would leave the lower site for an entire week and then return, but how. The nearest gas station or civilization is 30 miles away. My guess would be that whoever dropped them off, picked them up, 
this further makes me believe that he got a ride out of there. I truly believe that someone out there knows where Rico went that day. New evidence has emerged that Rico Harris might have returned to the lower site seven days after the last sighting of him there, and Detective Dean Nyland suspects he wasn't alone. We always believe that he did get a ride out of there and at some point decided to come back and find his belongings. What happened to him after that, I don't know. One month into the investigation, the detective sends cadaver dogs into the wilderness around the lower site. If Rico had stayed in the area and met misfortune, they would find his remains. One of the dogs at some point seemed to favor a deeper pool down the river. Swimming and rescue team showed up with divers and they searched the entire area that we couldn't see from the shore and they also came up empty. In Seattle, Rico's fiancée, Jennifer, is frustrated by the distance between her and the investigation going on 700 miles to the south. I was very proactive, and I put all my feelings aside, all of everything aside, and I focused on trying to get as much exposure as I can. I ended up creating a Facebook account for him, thinking maybe they found him. She and Rico's mother also take to the mainstream media. He will come home, and I think he would be very happy that I'm saying it like that. They wanted a story. So of course, yes, I'm going to give you a story. I want my son found. I, I thought it would help. I thought this was going to be like the biggest thing ever to bring him home. But weeks turn into months, and Margaret's hopes are dashed. There was no new leads. There was no, nothing. It's very frustrating. Not knowing where Rico is or what happened to him, takes its toll on his mother. Depression set in. There's times that I didn't get out of bed. I couldn't get out of bed. I wanted the whole day to go by and the next one to come. Sometimes I dream him. I see him. When I close my eyes, I could see him like I could see you. Both she and Jennifer also believe a negative bias regarding Rico's alcoholism and substance abuse issues has at times undermined the investigation. Sometimes I became very angry because my son was a loyal, great individual that deserves to be given every opportunity to be found. Regardless if he was drinking, on drugs, he wouldn't just disappear like this and party it up. That's not what kind of person Rico is. The family has nobody to look to except law enforcement, so they depend on us. Everything that's been put in front of us, we have investigated, and it's led nowhere. At this point, nothing makes sense. But Detective Nyland continues to cast nets. He monitors Rico's credit report for any activity or possible identity theft. The longer this goes on, the more we're likely to believe that at some point a crime occurred. I don't like it. I don't see why anybody would want to harm Rico. People whose crime is a gentle giant, very lovable. As the one-year anniversary of Rico's disappearance approaches, his mother finds a surprising source of strength, speaking with other people who've had loved ones vanish. That's like my therapy now. I reach out to them. I hear their stories. They're similar to my story. 
it's a good feeling that I get because I'm giving a little bit of myself to these people. Rico's disappearance has had a significant impact on the relationship between his mother and Jennifer. His mom and I talk almost every day. We're closer more than ever. I feel closer to Rico by connecting with Rico's mom. Rico's a very positive person. He would want me to be positive. So deep down, I thought maybe if I get along with his mom, some positive vibes will be out there and it will bring Rico home. Jennifer is my comfort because when I feel like I need to talk to somebody, I call her. And we don't even have to talk about Rico. Just to hear her voice and her telling me, you know, it's gonna be okay. Just, you know, take a nap, relax. Have you eaten already? You know, things like that. Her relationship with Jennifer may ease her anguish about Rico, but nothing can eliminate it. Rico's disappearance has devastated his mom. I think that as much as I love Rico and as much as I want him to be safe, my heart breaks even more for his mom. I want Rico home. That's all my life is. That's all my life will be. It's about my son and bringing him home where he belongs. I just want you home, Rico. I just want you home. No parent should ever have to go through what Margaret is going through for the last year. This is a human being that's missing, and it's her son. I've been telling Margaret, I have a son. I feel you. You'll never understand how I understand, but I do understand what you're going through. And there's nothing that I won't do to try and find him. As those who love Rico try to reconcile themselves to his absence, all hold out hope that his disappearance will one day be resolved. If I could talk to him one last time, I would probably let him know that I really love him. I'm there for him no matter what. It's not like someone died and we have a body. It's just the unknown without the closure. I feel like a lot of us let him down. And when he needed somebody the most, uh, then we all had to, you know, look out for number one. And I just, I'm not sure that, that, uh, there was anybody there that was really looking out for Rico. And so, I'm sorry for that. Somebody knows something. And why they're not speaking, I don't know. I don't want to die without knowing. I want to know where my son is at. If you have any information about Rico Harris or his disappearance, please contact the Yolo County Sheriff's Office at 530-668-5280. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.